Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Goodyear Eagle Enforcer, the recognized leader for police pursuit tires. Goodyear has the tires and technology to help your police fleet perform at its best, no matter the weather. Pursue confidently. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Francaire, your editor. Thanks for tuning in. This summer, Blue Line, the podcast, is celebrating women in law enforcement, and we're profiling some of the many passionate officers who strive every day to make a difference. I am thrilled today to be sitting down with Natalie Hiltz. Hiltz is an executive member of the Canadian Society of Evidence-Based Policing and a key member of the Advancing We in Policing. We're going to talk more about that later. She is also in the middle of her master's degree with Cambridge University in the UK and has just been relentlessly working to improve policing programs and practices for everyone at every rank and position. So Natalie, welcome and thanks for joining us here in the studio. Thanks for having me here today. All right, so I heard you just got back from the UK uh, where you're doing your master's degree. Uh, How's that all going? Well, the master's degree is pretty busy. They uh, certainly uh, don't give these things out for free. So uh, I'm working. Uh, I'm working full time, and uh, I'm also a mom of two kids, a 17 year old and a 14 year old. And um, so it's a lot of work, but um, it's going really well. Uh, Cambridge has absolutely been uh, an absolutely magical experience, and um, I'm really lucky to be there. Uh, it's going really well. Beautiful. And, and you were there uh, for the 12th Cambridge International Conference on Evidence-Based Policing um, as well this time in July. So that looked like fun. What was the biggest takeaway there? Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's great because while I, I was, uh, I have to go to uh, Cambridge, they don't do distance uh, education. So I've been there uh, six times in the past two years. So luckily the last time I was down there, they uh, were hosting the 12th um, Annual Cambridge International Conference on Evidence-Based Policing. So that's what I'm doing my degree in. It's actually a degree, a master's degree in applied criminology and police management. But uh, it's a, that's a fancy title for evidence-based policing. It's basically an evidence-based policing degree. So it was really great to be a part of the conference. Um, the conference is my second one. I went to the conference last year as well. And what's fantastic about it and unique is that it really is international. Mm. We uh, saw presentations from Commissioner uh, Cressida Dick from um, the London Met. We saw presentations from um, uh, officers from uh, Denmark, uh, from Hong Kong, uh, from uh, across the UK, uh, from the US. So uh, you really get uh, a feeling that this evidence-based policing um, is really a movement and it's an international movement in policing, which is uh, quite, uh, quite incredible. Okay, what was your favorite session at that uh, conference on evidence-based policing in Cambridge? Well, I gotta say, they were all the presentations were amazing. Uh, but for sure, my favorite uh, was by Jerry Radcliffe. Um, now, Jerry Radcliffe, uh, he's pretty witty. He's got a pretty great sense of humor, and it always shines through his presentations. I've seen him a couple of times. Uh, once the American Society uh, Evidence-Based Policing Conference, and then again uh, in Cambridge, the International Conference. Um, he's a pretty funny guy. Uh, he uh, he says he joined policing because the circus wasn't in town, which I think the circus dodged a bullet on that one. I uh, know, but seriously, he's a really great guy. 
guy is really funny. Um, he's a friend of mine. And um, the thing about um, Jerry is he's a he's a former police officer in the UK, but now he's like I said, a professor at Temple University in Philadelphia. So he's an academic, but he's definitely was a. Um, uh, we say a field practitioner, uh, being a police officer working in the field. So he's a great blend. He was my favorite presentation. He really, uh, he first of all, he really reaches his audience, keeps everybody engaged, and um, people should really check out his work. He he advocates that there's four trends that are going to drive the future of policing, and he really hits home that they're going to be hard, harm focused, intelligence led. Um, problem-oriented policing and um, and evidence-based. So you mentioned you, you met uh, Commissioner Dick then. How, how was uh, that? What was the words of wisdom from her? I mean, she's running uh, or at the head of uh, one of the largest uh, police agencies in the UK. Yeah, Cressida Dick was um, definitely um, one of those experiences in life that you're not soon to forget. Yeah. I, w I did meet um, Nelson Mandela uh, briefly when I was younger, and I've never forgotten that. And Cressida Dick is just one of those larger-than-life people where, you know, um, it was amazing to get a chance to spend some time with her. She's, um, I mean, she's she's the head of, of the largest police uh, service in the UK. I mean, it's over 40,000 strong. I mean, here in Canada, it's really hard to wrap our head around that. It's, uh, it's quite uh, a big uh, policing organization, and I think she's considered... Um, one of the highest, uh, if not the highest, uh, police uh, leader in the country. And she's also been dubbed one of the um, top 100 most influential uh, women in the world. So uh, for being a police officer for 24 years, meeting Cressida Dick is like meeting like my favorite rock star. Um, uh, it was really quite amazing. Um, she, what's interesting about her and the thing that I liked, obviously, being involved in the Cambridge program is that Cressida is also a former student of the Master's program from Cambridge. She's a huge advocate of evidence-based policing and she has the tough task of trying to keep London safe but um, they're going through uh, times of austerity there and she's trying to reduce crime um, with a very fastly shrinking budget. So they're trying to look at um, increasing efficiencies and for more cost effectiveness and cost effective operational deployment of their people. So it was really great to see that like uh, she's involved in the program that I'm in and that she's a graduate of the program to see that such a uh, big uh, important person in, in uh, policing in the UK is also a huge supporter of evidence-based policing. So uh, she's considered to be one of the brightest police leaders of, of her generation in the UK. So it was a really exciting moment for me. Incredible. Were you speechless? Yeah, I kind of was. <laughs> I felt like a little kid, yeah. right? Um, I was speechless. Uh, but I got to tell you, like, I don't know I don't know what I expected her to be like, but um, she was pretty small in stature. We're roughly the same size. Um, she was, um, you know, really well-spoken and warm and inviting and definitely made time for me. Uh, as soon as she heard I was Canadian, uh, she mentioned uh, I, uh, Brenda Lucky, who's the commissioner of the RCP. So apparently they're, they're pals, go figure. So, um, yeah, she definitely made some time for me. And um, I just talked about um, being involved in um, advancing women policing, advancing uh, we in policing initiative, and that I had a couple questions. We actually got cut off uh, oh. by uh, my Hong Kong uh, police friends. That's okay. And um, But her aide, she had her aide come find me and pass along her contact info. So we're just um, going back and forth right now with a couple of questions. Ooh, that's yeah, awesome. It is. It's All really right. awesome. Okay, now I know how to get in touch with her. Then. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got an in. Not really. but. <laughs> Uh, so so evidence-based policing, it's already come up quite a bit uh, just right now between you and I. Um, so so what, 
does that look like to you, evidence-based policing? How did you find your way into it? Okay, that's a, there's two questions there. So I'll answer your first one. Um, I stumbled into evidence-based policing um, by accident. So um, it's funny, there's um, the president of the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing, um, Renee Mitchell. Uh, she stumbled across evidence-based policing um, kind of the same way. Um, we were both uh, working in um, youth education departments of our police services, and it was from those uh, early moments and in that type of police environment that we were um, exposed to it. So in my case, um, I was working in, um, in, in a, a particular department and I was a brand new patrol sergeant and um, I came out of patrol, I went into this unit and I kind of did my own like SWOT analysis and I had a look and I realized that some of the strategies that we were uh, implementing and clinging to um, that there was no uh, merit and they, they really didn't have a base. They were just uh, strategies that had been perpetuated traditionally and we've been doing things a certain way because we've just always done them that way and nobody was really questioning um, what it is we were doing. So I found that, um, you know, for process people, you know, you, you might shuffle a lot of paperwork, but you never ask why you're doing it. So I was able to really look at what we were doing and say, I wanna know why we're doing it this way. And what I found was is um, I couldn't find the answers within policing. I couldn't find them within my own police organization. I couldn't find them at the Ontario Police College. Um, I couldn't find it through a course or a person. So what I started doing is I started self-educating and I started doing my own research, not really being a researcher at the time. And I, what I uncovered was that there is like a whole world out there of um, big, huge wheels in our community that are talking about policing. And there's a lot of research on policing and I'd never heard of this before and we're not really a part of it. So I was able to um, look at different um, programs going on at different parts of the world, um, and I was able to um, pull them in, and I was able to make some sense of what we were doing. And um, so that was kind of like my early start. And, and during that time, I bumped into a woman named um, Laura Huey, Dr. Laura Huey. She's a professor at Western University. And um, I kind of like, talked to her about my experience and um, anyhow uh, it was kind of we were instant friends and um, she told me about this evidence-based policing movement that I hadn't heard of that existed before and I, I didn't even know it was around and here I was trying to practice the same kind of thing on my own kind of common sense trying to make sense of some of the stuff we were doing uh, in my organization and so um, yeah, so that's how I kind of got involved. I, as soon as I met her, um, I think my comment was, I finally found my tribe, yeah. and I've been with them ever since, yeah. Amazing, and great advice for anyone else who's, who's looking for the same answers. Absolutely. There's, uh, it, it's funny because evidence-based policing is, um, it's a really big um, uh, movement, and, it's, it, and it's, it is really big, and um, it's funny, like at the Ontario Police College or, um, you know, the training, you know, I had no idea that this whole big world was out there. Um, and evidence-based policing, to answer your second question, um, I can tell you what evidence-based policing is not. And there seems to be some really huge confusion right now um, in police circles that um, data is evidence-based policing. And that's a huge misconception. Um, data is just a starting point for evidence-based policing. It's, um, it, it's not an end point. 
uh, data is not evidence-based policing. It's just it's just where you begin. Um, you begin, and so that's important that people know that. I've seen people throw evidence-based policing around the, the concept, and you know, um, they're just using data. They haven't done any research, and then you know, you, you get into things like best practices. It doesn't mean calling your neighboring police service and finding out what they're doing, and then calling that best practice. Um, and you know, evidence-based policing also is not. Um, eminence-based policing because you're the highest ranking officer in the room then you're the smartest one and what you say goes so I can tell you that's what it's not um, when I when you hear the word or the term the concept evidence-based policing you really need to think police research um, and police science uh, and that's that's what evidence-based policing is about it's about um, tapping into this whole world out there on police research and um, asking yourself um, you know why are you why are we doing things in policing uh, the way we're doing them? Um, you know you'll be surprised to know that um, there's a lot of um, uh, studies and uh, research on critical incident uh, debriefings, and um, and as well as Dare the Dare program. And you know there's there's other examples of things that we're doing in policing that have been proven not to work. And when police leaders and police people are um, kind of uh, presented with with that fact you know they tend to be surprised um, and so what evidence-based policing um, helps you do is it helps you figure out what you're doing um, in the police service uh, what you're doing um, and what's working beautiful yeah it's so much more than the stats and these numbers that people can sometimes get obsessed with yeah, yeah. It, it's really more about the research yeah. piece and we've got um, we've got evidence-based societies of policing all over the world uh, I'm part of the Canadian society there's an American society uh, there is um, society in uh, the UK New Zealand um, Australia so I mean and we're linked internationally there's uh, it's a very very big um, society and um, it's like I said it's a whole world out there and there's a lot of research about anything that you could possibly uh, think of in policing so researcher um, academic police officer mom busy mom uh, you know one word to describe yourself could you even pick one <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, you know, if I was to pick a word, um, I would say that um, I would say that I'm innovative. You know, I think that that best describes me. Um, maybe some people would be surprised by that, but I really try to be innovative. In any of the places that I've been posted um, within my own organization, I really am always looking ways to um, improve our business, um, you know, through looking at efficiencies or gaps. Um, and that's that tends to be, that t definitely tends to be, uh, you know what I what I what I do, and I think I think innovative is a good word to describe me. And and I I think that um, in every um, area of, of my organization I've been in, I've really committed myself to making it a little better than a little bit better than when I came. And um, I'm not a I'm I'm always pushing beyond the status quo. Uh, I've never been a fan of ultra traditional policing uh, philosophies, policies, or practices uh, or styles. And I think I think that. Um, I always look or try to look uh, at everything that we're doing through a critical lens. Law enforcement then, you, you, you mentioned you know not a fan of the traditional um, and the status quo. How did you find your way into this career? <laughs> you got to tell me about the beginning. 
Well, I can't say that I found policing. Um, you know, policing found me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, I come from a family of police officers. My father was an RCMP officer. So when I was um, a child, I grew up learning to swim at the RCMP pool. Um, I learned to, you know, uh, do running and racing at the RCMP uh, camp, at the, at the races they used to have there. That's when I started running. I've been running for 26 years. <laughs> and I... Um, yeah, I, I that was my introduction, um, and you know, my dad's friends, other officers, uh, those are the people that my parents socialized with. Um, so policing really found me. I haven't really known anything else. I, I was grown up in that environment, and um, and my my husband's a police officer. So uh, yeah, it, it found me. Amazing. So you kind of always saw yourself as, a, yeah. as an officer. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And, yeah. and now you've taken that and made it your own. Along um, that journey then, what were some of the particular challenges to becoming an officer? Were there any surprises even with the the family background? Um, Well, the only thing that I could say was a real surprise was, um, I'm going to date myself here, but um, I graduated from university, um, my undergrad in uh, 94, and there was a recession in 94. So, you know, I think the surprise was, you know, if you go to school, you get a degree, you get a job and um, that plan didn't work. So I had to um, come home and I had to uh, find uh, another job and I ended up working in the private sector for two years for um, an advertising company. So what? yeah, <laughs> so that was that was a big surprise because that did not go smoothly. Um, during the recession, all the government jobs uh, really shut down and um, there weren't any jobs, so um, I couldn't become a police officer. There was no police off organizations that were hiring huh. at the time, so a bit of a disappointment, a bit of a, a bit of a turn of events that I couldn't have foreseen or anybody could have foreseen, so I had to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had to be patient. And you got innovative, if I do say so. Yes. Advertising, right? <laughs> yeah, advertising. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, like, I honestly... You know, it's a blessing in disguise that I didn't go right from school to policing. Working in the private sector, um, I got a. I was working in a, for a company called Urban Outdoor Transat. They're uh, they're no longer in existence, and we did transit advertising, so all the subway, TTC subway cars, and and subways and go, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, getting exposed to the private sector and how that big machine operates, um, and be, just being grown in a police family, it was uh, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it was a good experience. It gave me a lot of um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot yeah, of perspective sure. as a young as a young woman. Yeah, yeah, trying to enter the workforce for sure. Yeah, and you, you probably believe it or not, draw on some of those experiences. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. yeah. What about most memorable moment on the job so far? Okay, so that's a tough one. Mm. Uh, I got lots of memories. I got good ones. I got bad ones. I got all sorts. Um, so that's a tough one. But um, I think that the most, a memory that has had the most impact on me, um, I would say that uh, it's job related, uh, but it's actually when I was off duty. Mm-hmm. So um, I was in Ikea with my, with my kids and um, they were young. So I remember we were eating at the, you know, the Ikea restaurant, you know, loving the deals at the Ikea oh, restaurant the and, and the meatballs. <laughs> and my kids were really, they were tired. They're really causing a bit of a fuss in the restaurant. And um, I remember feeling a little bit self-conscious about that. And um, I was trying to, you know, come up with ways to get them to eat and get us out of there because they were, it, it was time, right? And there was a guy that kept looking over at the table and I... Um, 
thought, oh, here we go, right? So I see he looks over, he looks over, he gets up, and he starts walking over to us. And um, <laughs> I was ready. I was in defensive mode because mm-hmm. I was already feeling really self-conscious about my kids being loud. And he came up, and instead, he complaining about my kids, I love my kids, um, he introduced himself as a Brantford police officer, and he said that he recognized me and that I'd never met him. And he wanted to just come over and say thanks uh, because he knew that I was doing a lot of work with the Police Association of Ontario. Um, at that time in my life, I had, I'd spent uh, nine years working with um, the Police Association of Ontario on um, uh, Bill 105. It was uh, called the Good Samaritan Act at the time, and it was um, looking at mandatory testing so that um, if uh, any Ontarian, like a Good Samaritan or any emergency uh, service worker became exposed to uh, blood and uh, the course of their duties or an, a, an act of um, being a Good Samaritan, that they'd have the right to know if they'd come into contact with an infectious disease. So that's the work that I was doing at the time. And I was a young constable, um, obviously had my hands full. And this guy came over and um, yeah, he came over, he shook my hand, and he and he said, um, I just want to thank you very, very much. He goes, the work that you're doing is really, really important. And he goes, you don't know me, but I know who you are, and I just wanted to come over and say, say thank you very much. And it's funny because I didn't expect that. I, ex- right. I was expecting something completely right. different, so I was really in shock. Yeah. yeah. But I got to say that that's my most memorable moment in the job. It had the most impact on me because I realized at that time that I was a young female constable um, and that I realized that every officer has the ability to be a leader and has the ability to have impact. And it doesn't matter what corner of an organization that you come from or who you are or who you aren't. Every officer is a leader and you have definitely the ability to make impacts. Um, they're there. You have to take advantage and seize those opportunities and make it happen. And I realized at that moment that I was having an impact in policing in Ontario. Wow. Wow. How empowering to, yeah. to have that realization as well for the next step forward. Yeah. And that, that those experiences in my work with the PAO and um, amazing organization and um, and that experience has really laid a, a foundation for me and, and my life philosophies and, and where I where I go. Fantastic. That's that's it's super inspiring and and I love how it uh, turned around and and also illustrated that community that you're not always sure um, is there it, it's there whether you can see it or not the, the community of law enforcement wider than you even imagine yeah people yeah. are are watching and they're listening yeah. and they want to know they want to know what's going on and um, yeah people people are paying attention fantastic. What about um, mentors? Can you tell us about some of maybe the inspirational figures uh, in your life, um, others that you've uh, looked up to, continue to look up to? Um, So being a woman in policing starting in the mid-90s, I can't say there was a lot of female mentors um, during those times, but I was very lucky. I I started off at 11 Division in uh, southwest Mississauga, and... When I started, there was a woman there, her name was Jill Archer. And I gotta say that um, policing during the 90s, uh, was a tough business. Um, it was definitely a tough business. And she um, was this rough and uh, kind of, this kind of rough uh, policewoman who was really successful. She ended up being my first patrol sergeant. <laughs> and I, I gotta tell you that, you know, she was, um, 
you know, this, I got to put it into context. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this was a time when I started when um, policing was, um, it was not, was not a kind place. And, and, and generally, uh, not especially to women, like people were still pretty open that, um, you know, women had no place uh, being police officers in the mid nineties. And um, there were still some older uh, seasoned guys that were really quite expressive about that. So um, the thing with, with Jill Archer is, um, you know, she was like a really kind of rough, gruff uh, kind of a woman. She always had a smoke <laughs> in her mouth. She was, uh, you know, kind of crude and tough and edgy. Uh, but she was really funny, and uh, we really hit it off. She really had like, um, a, I would call like a bigger-than-life persona. Um, but the thing about it was is when you got her one-on-one, -on -one, she actually was um, very kind, very soft and, and caring, and she was actually almost very mothering. She really took me under, under her wing, and um, honestly, uh, the, the sun uh, rose uh, and set on her head, and I hung on her every word, and I listened to every single piece of advice she ever gave me. And, you know, the one thing I'll remember about um, her is I'll always remember how she made me feel. She, um, you know, at a time when policing really had an edge to it. She she really made me feel like I belonged and uh, that I was cared about. Um, and, and, I, and I would say that she's probably, and uh, you know, she, I can say without a doubt that so far she's been my strongest mentor. Um, you know, she used to tell me about funny stories about getting into foot pursuits and her police-issued skirt and pumps <gasps> and her police-issued purse where she kept her gun. Wow. And, you know, honestly, like, we would, she would tell me these stories and we would be, I would be in tears. Like, she, <laughs> they were, they were <laughs> amazing stories. Uh, I would really be in tears. And, like, we, we laughed a lot. We laughed hard together. And, but the thing that, that she taught me um, is that she taught me about leadership style. Um, she, she taught me about um, how to make an impression uh, and how you need to really reach people to get them to work with you. She, she taught me that you, you, you don't have to be afraid to let people know that you care and um, you know, to be supportive. And her, her personal style and her leadership uh, and management philosophy, I can say in these early moments were are, have uh, really stuck with me and that these are like philosophies and, I, and ideas and concepts that I have really adopted um, in my own personal style moving forward. So whether Jill Archer knows that or not, she's had a really dramatic impact on who I am as a police officer today. Um, and and she, she went on to become a, a superintendent and um, and I got to tell you, uh, for the, the rough and edginess of, of Jill Archer, she couldn't have been a more caring, uh, supportive, and kind uh, mothering uh, supervisor that uh, really made me love policing. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very uh, multidimensional. And, and I think that's important, too. It was at one of the conferences um, uh, earlier, the one in, uh, that Laurier put on, and they mentioned you know having the masculine and the feminine. And it's not just like men and women on the force, it's like having both of those in an officer. Yeah. Brings you to another level. Oh, and yeah. I was just thinking, she, she clearly well, it's, was a, an expert at both. Well, it's funny. That's a, an interesting concept that you mm. touch on. And um, she was really successful. And she was a tiny little wisp of a thing, uh, but had this bigger than life persona. She was really edgy and tough. 
Uh, and what I found in those days is you really had to kind of undo your gender to be successful in policing. You had to kind of let your feminine side go and you had to really try to ascribe to more of the masculine because that was the what your, your peers and, and what policing was kind of looking for and police women at the time. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of women in policing um, that can really, if they honestly uh, look back, that they really work to undo their gender to be mm -hmm. successful in policing in years gone past. And I think Jill Archer was a really good, um, you know, example of that. And um, and it's, it's really good to see how policing has really grown, evolved, and, and developed over the years where, you know, women don't need to undo their gender to be successful anymore. Um, that you can be feminine and you can... Um, you know, be a woman, uh, and you don't have to undo that to um, be successful, mm -hmm. and that we can be successful on our own terms. I love that. I love that. Anyway, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a it's a construct, right? And I think yeah, that maybe policing is that uh, spot where we can we can experiment with that and the constructs of it, and giving and taking, and and, and going beyond uh, what's expected. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Very cool stuff. All right. Well, moving right along um, then, you're a key contact for the Advancing We in Policing, which used to be Advancing Women in Policing Initiative here in Ontario. Uh, so I need to hear more about this. You've got to tell me, uh, first of all, how this got started. Well, um, so Advancing, uh, it, we originally started out as Advancing Women in Policing, and um, it's actually uh, the brainchild of um, Inspector Tammy Fryer from the Windsor Police Service. Um, she's a really the one who was the catalyst and the one who uh, sparked this initiative, um, which really it came into, um, it was formed in, in, I'd say, about November 2017. She was uh, part of an executive development and policing course that was being hosted by um, Calgary Police Service. And when she was there through this course and through her coursework, um, she was able to identify um, other initiatives from other provinces that focused on advancing women in policing, and, and that's uh, particularly as it relates to leadership roles. So. Um, she went back to Windsor and um, she started to, uh, to plan about taking the information and the learning and the networking that um, she had amassed in Calgary and apply it into the province of Ontario. So um, I first met Tammy um, through Dr. Laura Huey through CANSEB and uh, we actually met for the first time at the 2018 International Women in Policing Conference in Calgary. And uh, I can honestly say that's when uh, the planning really started to come together and um, creating this initiative. Um, and uh, really, it, it's her that um, brought all these really wonderful women together from throughout the province. And the, the initiative started off um, as, uh, as advancing women in policing and uh, especially as it uh, relates to, um, you know, leadership roles. But what ended up happening is um, we held an event in Ottawa in um, February of this year. And we've done a lot of listening, and a lot of learning, and talking about gender in the workplace and um, equity and inclusivity in the workplace. And we invited about 130 policewomen from across the province and asked them what they found were barriers and challenges to women in policing. And um, it was a great cross-section of uh, and sample of women from throughout the province and 
we um, we were really to uh, were really able to get access to uh, to their voice and their collective voice on what they feel is is uh, directly and, uh, and indirectly impacting them, and it was a, a really really um, amazing experience. So from that um, experience, we realized that having women involved in in um, an equity and an um, inclusion conversation is actually exclusionary. So since then we've rebranded and we've adopted a new approach uh, to using gender as a, as a platform to discuss um, uh, equity and inclusion and diversity in the workplace. So we've rebranded as um, Advancing We in Policing and uh, we just recently came out with a new website. It's wepolice.ca. And we're just using gender as, um, like I said, a, a platform to discuss uh, and explore um, uh, uh, equity and inclusion and diversity in our workplace. Uh, originally, um, we start with gender because our issue is is that um, you know 50% of our Canadian population is uh, female, mm -hmm. and uh, only 20% of that of that population is in policing. Uh, fortunately, and that, that number's held pretty steady for a number of years, and we haven't really been able to crack that. And um, strikingly, uh, even less than that, only 15% um, are in leadership positions. And, uh, you know, it, that's that's also quite striking when you take in a, into consideration the fact that women have been policing for uh, 100 years. So um, that's originally um, the issue that we're trying to address and with that we're still trying to address and our whole angle is that um, gender equity is not um, a women's issue mm -hmm. uh, it's everybody's issue and so that's the, the what we're trying to embody in, in the rebrand and moving forward and to talk about uh, some of these issues together beautiful and just for everybody listening that's wepolice.ca again yeah. check it out it's uh, pretty cool stuff uh, so what about um, for those people who who want to join get involved what's the best way to uh, to do that well so right now we're uh, in the planning stages uh, for uh, our next workshop and mm. uh, it's going to be held by Niagara Regional Police and Niagara Falls and it's going to be held on December 4th 5th and 6th um, now, what we're trying to do is we have a really big um, social media presence uh, where you can find us on uh, Twitter at AWIP underscore ON and as well on Instagram on, again, AWIP underscore ON. Um, and uh, what we're looking at to how to join and get involved is um, to uh, promote our work, um, to DM us, uh, engage, promote our work, um, and promote our brand. Uh, we're really uh, trying to uh, really embrace social media and obviously with the new website and really get the word out there um, that we exist, um, what our goals are, um, and we're looking for um, engagement and support from the law enforcement landscape. So I really encourage anybody that um, is into uh, is interested in the discussion on equity, uh, inclusivity, and diversity in um, the police workplaces to um, hit on those social media accounts and, um, you know what, uh, retweet our stuff, like our stuff, um, comment on our stuff, and um, um, promote some of our events, and that's really, right now, the best way to get involved. Fantastic. Yeah, you guys have been super um, engaging on, on social media and uh, uh, up in the know, so I appreciate uh, that because it certainly keeps me informed as well. Uh, I'm going to make sure that December 4th, 5th, and 6th event gets added to our calendar, and maybe I will join you. 
All right. So what about moving right along? Your hopes uh, for policing in the future? Uh, you know, what do you see? What do you, you what do you want to see in terms of policing and gender equality, diversity? It's a big question. As I, I say, that's <laughs> no pressure in an ideal world. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's a really big question. Um, it's a complicated question, mm-hmm. but uh, I, <laughs> I'm up for the challenge on this one. Um, the hopes for policing the future in terms of gender equity and diversity, how do you see us getting us there? Um, some of the reading I've been doing and some of the uh, people that I've been talking to from um, across the province here in Ontario, um, there's some interesting things um, that um, have gone on in policing that we've never really questioned and we've always kind of taken for granted. And um, I think that for us to, uh, you know, really advance towards a, a, a true and authentic, uh, you know, equity, um, inclusion and diversity, uh, I think that, and especially too, I mean, in terms of um, if we're going to use a gender as a platform um, to talk about these issues, I think that there's there's definitely some systemic things that are going on that we've never thought about that do, you know, tend to hold people back. I think that um, we need to really have a, a real critical um, audit of our of our business practices. Uh, we need to consider where they've come from. Um, I think that a lot of policing institutions, they've been uh, built and constructed using masculine assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it really has been built on the uh, foundation of masculinity. Um, you know, you look at some of the, the recruiting requirements, um, you know, the, where we've come from in the last, uh, you know, 25 years and uh, where we're going. I mean, we've, uh, we've revamped, revamped those requirements quite a couple times, uh, quite a few times to make sure that um, we're um, offering uh, equitable um, recruiting practices um, that women can pass uh, physical mm-hmm. requirements and um, but I mean if you look at that just as one example you know what are what are some of the other examples and maybe um, performance um, evaluations and our thoughts about uh, leadership and policing I mean I, I mean I just I put it to you like um, we already talked about women uh, doing gender to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a statement in of itself. You know, um, finding rough edgy and masculine women in policing were really not hard to find when I first started. Um, you know, it, things are really changing, so it's really good to know that um, that um, there's a natural evolution taking place. But when you talk about, like, recruit testing and performance measures and our, uh, as well around our, our thoughts and discussions about leadership, you know, um, uh, you know, I'll say something like empathy. Uh, empathy is um, a really uh, considered a, a more of a feminine character trait. Um, but I would I would say that empathy is um, one of the most important and integral uh, traits to um, good leadership. But yet, I think in a lot of organizations and police organizations across uh, Ontario and if not the country, um, it's not a, a popular performance dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, that, a, but a lot of women have empathy. So that would just be, uh, I would say, just a very small example on how um, some of our our uh, thoughts about leadership and performance measures, um, you know, they're they're constructed with masculine assumptions. Uh, empathy the, the traditionally was not considered a male uh, trait or a strength. Um, and we know now that it's, it's essential to good uh, leadership in a police environment. So like I said, that would just be one example. I really think that we need to look at our systems and our policies and our practices uh, with this in consideration. Um, and I think that will definitely help us in getting where we need to go. Well said.
Uh, with that in mind, what, what would be your advice or your message for women, uh, maybe other uh, minorities currently working in law enforcement uh, or women uh, and the likes uh, thinking about the career? Well, I can tell you that um, a career in policing is uh, a career like no other. Um, I have absolutely no regrets. I've been in policing for 24 years, and um, every day I wake up and I feel blessed. Uh, and keeping in mind, again, I've got contacts. I, I worked in the private sector for two years before I came into policing, and uh, it did give me a lot of perspective. Um, policing is one of those jobs, uh, one of those careers that um, you can really, you can really make a difference. And that's why um, evidence-based policing um, is important to me because it, it uh, is a measure on, on uh, that enables us to make a difference and know that we're making a difference. But in saying, uh, and going back to the question, if, um, you know, if people are considering listening to this today and they're considering um, a career in law enforcement, I could tell you that, um, you know, it, it is an absolutely amazing career and I've um, been able to do amazing things with amazing people and I've traveled around the world um, and it is, uh, like I said, a career like no one other. The best advice I could, I could give somebody um, in um, either just uh, trying to secure a career in policing or they just recently hired is, um, you know what, be true to yourself. Mm. You know, we've, uh, we've hired you or we're gonna hire you based on uh, your unique qualities that make you you. Uh, we're not into uh, hiring cookie, cookie cut coppers, I think I heard somebody <laughs> call it. Um, uh, you know, for people listening, don't try to be someone else because, um, you know, everyone else is taken. Uh, be yourself. For women, celebrate your gender. Um, there's no reason this day and age to undo your ge gender. Uh, you know, don't make any apologies for that or any concessions. All right. We're going to end uh, each episode uh, with two fun questions. That's what we've been doing lately, so you're in for a treat. Uh, all right, to put you on the spot, but what is something your colleagues might not know about you? <laughs> I know, it's a toughie. And it's like, do you want to share it or no? Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't want to give away your secrets. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, geez, okay. So, let's see. Something my colleagues might not know about me. Um, hmm. Well, some, some of my, my colleagues may know this, but many of them will not. Uh, I can pump out a mean Canadian anthem. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's true. Uh, I, uh, I did a friend a favor uh, several, I could say probably almost 10 years ago now. I... Uh, belted out the anthem at a boxing match and um, they uh, videoed it, it's on YouTube uh, I think it's called the Next uh, Anthem Diva or something like this, but anyhow it has over 500 hits and people from time to time discover it and it's really funny because oh. it's really embarrassing uh, and they play it <laughs> Yeah, That's so awesome. <laughs> my last my last uh, my last block at school at Cambridge, somebody I don't know found it, and uh, they were playing it during dinner. Uh, that was really oh, fun. But <laughs> oh, I, hey, maybe I could start singing about EBP. Yeah, maybe I could there you go. Do a song about evidence-based policing. Maybe I could do like um, an interpretive dance or a rap or something. Yeah, make it go viral. <laughs> make it go that viral. will help. Hey, yeah. will, will we treat? Will we tweet that? Look. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can we get a little bit of a sample today? No, no, no there's absolutely no way I would be doing that today. But thanks for the offer. Yeah, that's great. What about uh, the one thing that you, as a law enforcement officer, couldn't live without? Um, 
is that even a question? I'm like, really? It's coffee. <laughs> it's coffee. It's coffee, coffee, and more coffee. Um, at the airport, um, I work uh, when I'm working on a pl uh, platoon there, in a uniform platoon, um, which I have the past three years. Uh, you need a lot of coffee. I wake up at 3 a.m. That's a 3 a.m. start. You know, I leave my house at four. I get to work quarter five. So coffee is like a big part of my day. Yeah, amen to yeah. that. Espresso. Um, well, I do have favorites. I'm very particular, a bit of a co coffee gourmet, I'm not going to lie. Um, my favorite one right now is I'm rocking uh, triple espressos uh, uh, called Magic out of a place called Bold Brothers in the UK. And uh -oh. it's like my go-to right now, but nice. I can only get them when I'm in the UK, so. Wow, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're still doing the Masters, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, gotta, I get to go coffee, back for one more coffee. of my favorite cup of coffee. I can relate, though, because uh, my French press has been my, my godsend. Oh, the French press the drip is anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no. so so there you go. Now yeah. you know my little secret. Yeah, French press is amazing. <laughs> One of my favorites as well. <laughs> Approval. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today my here pleasure. in the studio. We appreciate it. And sharing your story um, with all of our listeners, uh, I just wish you the best as you continue with your master's. I know you're going to do even uh, more great things with evidence-based policing, um, bridging gaps, and uh, shutting down some barriers. So I wish you the best of luck, and everyone here at Blue Line is uh, backing you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, we can't wait to see more of your posts, so do keep us updated on what you're up to. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode in our Women in Law Enforcement series. Here's a clue. We're going to be speaking with a retired RCMP civilian member in Newfoundland and Labrador who was the communications lead for the 9-11 response. You don't want to miss it. Thank you to everyone listening, especially those out protecting our communities. Stay safe. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 